Hello, and welcome back to our podcast, Sound Off, uh, Leadership Lessons with the Airmen of Troy, where our mission is to inspire and develop future leaders of the Air Force and beyond. I am Cadet Randolph. I'm Cadet Marler, and today we have with us Lieutenant Colonel Michael Yemzon. He commissioned out of USC. So good afternoon, sir. Uh, we're going to have you maybe do a little introduction of yourself and tell us a little bit about what you have going on right now. Awesome. Well, good afternoon, Det 60. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Michael Yamzon. I commissioned with Det 60 from Cal Poly Pomona uh, back in 2001 is when I received my commission, uh, spring of 2001. Uh, I commissioned straight into what we, the current career field, the AFSC is 13 November, which is an ICBM nuclear operations. Um, back in March of 2001, when I got my commission, I went straight to Vandenberg Air Force Base to receive my technical training. Uh, and that's where I've been, uh, where I got my tools of the trade to do my core AFSC. Um, I, I accomplished my operational tour at F.E. Warren Air Force Base, which is in Cheyenne, Wyoming. At that time, I wasn't too familiar where Cheyenne, Wyoming was, but I'm actually great, quite grateful that the Air Force has brought me to, the, to that part of the country because it's a beautiful part, beautiful part of the country. Um, but that's where I did my operational tour of ICBM operations, and I can dive into that more deeply deeply here uh, in future conversations in this podcast. Uh, so I spent four years there doing the weapon system and, and learning the tools of the trade of an ICBM operator. I was an instructor and evaluator there at the, at the wing. Uh, upon completion of that, I went back to Vandenberg Air Force Base where I became a, an instructor for the weapon system at the schoolhouse. Uh, so I spent another four years there of teaching the weapon system for the brand new operators coming into the Air Force. Uh, at the same time, that's where I also deployed. I deployed with the Army at that point. So I had some time over the sandbox. Uh, upon completion of my assignment at uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base, I was assigned to United States Strategic Command at Offutt Air Force Base, uh, which is in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, in the good Midwest, a beautiful part of the country. If anyone has never been there, I was never, I've never been to Omaha before, before being assigned there. And again, I'm also grateful that the Air Force has brought me over there because it's, a, again, another beautiful part of the country. Uh, during that assignment, I was called an ICBM force employment planner, where uh, we determined the targets for each ICBM that we have in our arsenal uh, against whatever adversary target that we have. Uh, if you're all not familiar, but the ICBM nuclear weapon that we have is one of three nuclear weapon platforms that the United States arsenal has. The ICBM is a land base, the bombers is the air base, and you got the, the submarines, which is a sea the sea leg of the triad. So the ICBM is the ground force or the, the ground leg of the nuclear triad. Uh, while assigned to US Stratcom, pretty much like I said, we were responsible for identifying the targets for all of our ICBMs within our arsenal. Um, so I did that for four years, or I'm sorry, for three years. And I did have the opportunity to work with the Navy while I was there. Uh, I'm one of the rare Air Force members who have had some uh, sea time, a little bit of sea time out in the, in the Pacific Ocean a great opportunity to, to work with a joint service, uh, both the Army and the Navy, so that was a great opportunity. Uh, upon completion of there, I went back to F.E. Warren Air Force Base in Cheyenne, Wyoming, where I worked for the Numbered Air Force, which is 20th Air Force. Uh, they were responsible for the organized training equipped for the ICBM crew force. Uh, it was a short uh, assignment because I was sent over to Malmstrom Air Force Base, um, eventually in 2015, which is in Great Falls, Montana where I was uh, hired as the chief of Standyville for the operations group out at the 341st Missile Wing. Um, from there, I graduated to be the operations officer, uh, which is a uh, director of operations for the operations support squadron. 
I did that for two years. And then upon completion of that tour back in 2017, I went back to Vandenberg, third time's a charm, in which I commanded the tech school that I attended as a trainee, as an instructor. And now I came back as the commander of that school. Uh, it was a great opportunity to, uh, to see or to complete uh, a, an ICBM operators tour where again, like I said, I, I was able to be a trainee and instructor. Now I get to command that weapons or that schoolhouse. Um, a great learning opportunity for myself at that point in my career, um, having to lead young airmen, both maintainers and operators, young operators who are coming straight from college. Um, and I did that for two years. And I graduated from squadron command back in 2019. And at that point, I came over back to Omaha, Nebraska, uh, this time as a section chief of the, of the air room, the United States Strategic Command Air Room, which is responsible for all nuclear planning of all nuclear platforms. That's both the air launch, the launch and the land-based system, essentially our nuclear triad. Uh, so I've been in this assignment for the past year, year and a half now. Um, I will be in this assignment for another year and a half. Uh, I'm a little bit over 19 years in my career. Uh, I've enjoyed my time in the Air Force. It's, uh, it's been a, it's it's fast, and I know it's it's gonna you you get you all cadets hear that a lot from from other officers, but the the career does go by pretty quick. Uh, so hold on and, and enjoy while you can. Thank you, sir, for that background. Um, it's very obvious that you have a lot of experience in leadership scenarios and uh, you just have a lot of time in the Air Force. Um, could you give some detail on what the process of going to your first duty station was and um, some leadership, anything leadership you learned along the way? Sure. Um, and a lot of the experiences I'm going to share with you all is going to be based off of what I've witnessed myself. So there's just, a lot of this is not really codified in any Air Force instruction or regulation or policy. Uh, so please just use this as a, as, a, as a benchmark, not necessarily as the golden rule. Um, so what I've noticed um, commanding a tech training squadron where I got a lot of the newly commissioned lieutenants, both from ROTC, OTS, and the academy, um, Everyone is all gung ho, right? You got you're reblued because you just you're newly commissioned. You're really wearing the butter bars. You're a new officer in the United States Air Force. What you learned in ROTC and what you're going to apply in the Air Force is going to be I would I don't want to say dramatically different, um, but what you learned in the ROTC you're going to apply it for sure in the Air Force when it comes to our core values, uh, just the concepts of how to take care of airmen, uh, project management. Uh, there's going to be a lot of expectations for you as a new young second lieutenant. But one of the first things that I always harp on for the brand new second lieutenant is uh, you need to work on your proficiency. Uh, whatever weapon system that you're going to be certified for or working, whether you're going to be a pilot, a space operator, uh, or a finance person, you need to know your job. Right. Um, because as the officer, you're going to be the subject matter expert. You're going to be leading a unit, a section of, of young airmen, um, or you can be the go-to person from, from your leadership to answer whatever question. And you need to build your credibility and how to build your credibility is by studying whatever it is that you're doing for your, your core specialty. Uh, you need to be proficient. Um, there's a lot of things that's going to, you're going to be fire hosed with um, tasks. Task management is going to be a, a huge thing for you to be able to, to juggle. 
Um, and if you can't do it, you need to be able to say, sir, ma'am, I understand what the task is at hand. I need an extension on a deadline. I need further resources in order for me to meet the intent of your task. You need to be able to vocalize whatever concerns that you may have that may or may not be able to lead you to accomplish whatever task. Um, feedback, you need to be able to seek and give feedback. Uh, I'm a firm believer of what we call a 360 degree feedback. What I mean by 360 degree feedback, it's feedback from your subordinates, feedback to your peers, feedback to and from your superiors. Um, as a young second lieutenant, again, you may be leading a unit of young airmen where you are going to be expected to give and set expectations and feedback to those young airmen. Yes, sir. Uh, or if you're going to be in a, in a career field where it's officer heavy, you need to be able to give your fellow buddy who is also an officer feedback that he or she is not performing up to par. Um, and and one, one last thing I want to add to is being able to, to make the mistakes. Um, it's okay to make mistakes. You're a young officer and mistakes are going to be expected of you. It's, but it's what you do with those mistakes that will set you for success. Um, you, you, you learn from your mistakes, you learn from others' mistakes and, and you move on forward. But if that mistakes can, if that same mistake continues, it's no longer a mistake. It's a problem. And we need to fix that problem. You know, there's a, there's a saying that I go off with is if you're not, if you're not making a mistake, you are not trying hard enough. And, and let that sink in a little bit. If you're not making mistakes, you are not trying hard enough, right? Because if you're trying hard, chances are you're going to make a mistake. Right. And mistakes are okay. And that's going to be one of the hardest things that you guys are going to probably face in, your, in the Air Force is, is it being in that environment where it's okay to make a mistake. Because it's ingrained in you right now as cadets that no matter what your restrictions are, whatever limitations you're faced with, you're gonna have mission success. Figure out the problem, cadet. Figure out the, the problem, lieutenant. The expectation is mission success. But it's okay to stumble to get to that success. And if that stumbling is mistakes, as long as you learn from those mistakes, that's okay. Granted, there's no jeopardy of life, limb, whatever, right? Nobody's life is in jeopardy. Yes, sir. Um, so, so, as a brand new lieutenant, you guys are eyes wide open. First off, soak it all in. Learn your learn your weapon system, and one of probably the most important thing that you need to do as an officer is trust your people. Trust your airmen. Trust your enlisted corps, and, and trust your NCOs. Your NCOs are going to make or break you. Now I don't know if they talk a lot about that in your leadership courses. Uh, but NCOs are, gonna, are a huge, huge um, linchpin to, to the success of the military because as us officers, we move fairly often in the military. I move every three to four years. And as you, as, you, as you tack on rank, that time you stay on station starts to minimize. Uh, but the, uh, the enlisted corps, they stay a lot longer than we do. So there's somewhat more of the continuity. So they have the expertise. They have the experience. They have the knowledge of why a unit does certain things. Uh, so it's imperative of you as officers to, to trust your airmen, to trust the enlisted corps, to trust the NCOs that they will help you uh, uh, lead your, your organization or unit. Um, but on the, on the less operational side, ROTC doesn't, ROTC, ROTC tells you a lot about all these things about one, how to read an LES, 
a learning a leave earning statement. But when you actually get to the wing or to the operational air force, I've had lieutenants tell me, sir, I don't know how many days of leave or vacation days I have. Can you show me where I can get that information? Just the basic systems of how to, to navigate and operate within the air force is probably one of the things that you guys are going to struggle uh, to wrap your head around. Uh, because one, one, one of the first things you get to the unit is that's one of the last things you're going to be worried about when you, when you check into a unit is how do I find out if I'm getting paid correctly? How do I find out if I have how many vacation days I have? That's one of the biggest issues that I was faced with is making sure that the young newly commissioned lieutenants have been updated in our systems so that one, you can get paid properly. I had a, I had a brand new second lieutenant who emptied out his savings account because he wasn't getting paid. And I said, why did you not tell us this, that you did not get paid? Well, he said, I thought that that's just how the system worked, that it takes time for the system to get me my paycheck. I was like, no, this Air Force has been operating for 75 some years now. We have the system in check. And if you're not getting paid, you need to let somebody know whether that's the first sergeant, your flight commander, your deputy your director of operations or your commander, you need to let somebody know that there's something wrong because the last thing we need to do is put you into some issues or financial problems because we as the Air Force have failed to prepare you to come into our Air Force. Um, so if you guys have any issues or concerns when you guys are newly commissioned, please, please speak up. And I, we need you guys to, to say that and talk to somebody so that we can fix it for you because I don't know what the problems are until somebody tells me what they are. That was my job as a commander is to was to clear hurdles so I can better prepare you guys to do whatever it is that you're doing for the mission. Would you sir, say that? It, sorry, sir, what were you saying? That was a long-winded answer. <laughs> I was going to say, would you say um, that is the most common problem that you see amongst new lieutenants, just the inability to ask questions? Yes. Um, and that, that's going to be dependent on their background, obviously. Um, a lot of them are going to be gun shy, again, because now you're no longer in the sanctuary of a university or a detachment right. where your unit is nice, small, whatever, how big the detachment is. Now you're in the operational Air Force where you have numerous numbers of people with different specialty codes. Um, they're very gun shy in regards to raising the red flag or the white flag, I should say, that they need help. Um, that's a stigma in the military, to tell you the truth, whether it's finances, medical, or mental health. That is a problem in the military that we have is that people are gun shy to say, I need help. And that's a problem that we need to fix. And it starts with you and I, which is fostering that environment where it is okay to say, hey, I need help. So, sir, going along that same line of thought, um, earlier you talked about how um, lieutenants need to learn from their failure. How does that evolve as you go um, towards a field grade officer? Can you still fail, make failures? And also, especially in your career field, like how does that um, integrate? So I'll tell you right now, when I was a young CGO, everyone knows the difference between CGOs and FGOs, right? Uh, CGOs are your lieutenants, second, first lieutenant and captain and field graders are majors and above. As a young CGO, I myself, um, I was what you call under the radar kind of guy. And what that means was, what that means is that I was just doing what I needed to do to get by and so that nobody bothered me. Um, 
to me, and looking back now, I regret doing that. Reason being is because I robbed myself of learning opportunities to make myself a better officer. I, I robbed myself of learning opportunities of making those mistakes as a young officer. Because I'll tell you right now, the opportunity to make mistakes definitely exponentially decreases as you increase in rank because of the experience that you gain as you proceed in the rank, right? So as a young, the second lieutenant, yeah, we're going to expect you to make the mistakes, right? I'm sure you guys have heard it. Blame it on the lieutenant, right? Because the lieutenant is brand new. So that's okay. Again, barring any risk to life, mistakes are okay. Uh, I call my, uh, so when I say I was under the radar kind of guy and how I regret it, like I said, I regretted, I regretted because I robbed myself of learning opportunities. I did not uh, challenge myself until I was probably put into a situation where I needed to operate outside of my comfort zone. Where you make mistakes is when you operate outside your comfort zone. And when you operate outside your comfort zone, you learn more about yourself. So I'm a firm advocate of operating outside your comfort zone. So as a, as a commander, when somebody told me that he or she, uh, whether if I was you know, doing a board to hire somebody to a certain position and he or she was saying, oh, I prefer position A over position B because I'm not too familiar with position B. Well, guess what I did? I put that individual in position B, being so that he or she can learn more about him or herself of what the limitations are. Um, the problem with mistakes is, again, is fostering the environment of accepting the mistakes. Um, and I think the important part of setting that environment begins with the commander. And, and what that and how that entails is how does the commander hold the individual accountable when he or she makes the mistake, right? Because um, if, if somebody makes a mistake and the hammer is dropped down to that individual, what kind of atmosphere is that gonna entail within that organization? There's gonna be a very gun shy organization. That's a negative because in my mind, if you set that kind of environment, if people are afraid to make mistakes or afraid to bring up points of negativity or issues or concern, there's gonna be a lot of lying going on. There's gonna be a lot of sweeping things under the rug, which you as a commander do not want in an organization. So what to do when, when there's a mistake in an organization is to treat that person with dignity and respect no matter what. In my organization, I had an officer who made probably a career ending uh, offense and that was a DUI. A, a, a captain um, got, was a, a captain was charged for a DUI, okay? Typically you can see organizations out there uh, make that individual wear the scarlet letter, the scar I'm sorry, scarlet letter, you know, advertising it, captain so-and-so, DUI, don't be like captain so-and-so, uh, or, and that person ends up being the guinea pig, right? Um, no, you don't do that. And my, the, the way I handled it is strictly secrecy. You guys have heard the whole punish in private, praise in public, that punish in private happened, okay? The individual knew that he, he messed up, and he accepted the accountability that was commensurate to the offense, but yet the punishment piece was under the radar that nobody even knew that that happened in our squadron, which is good because that, that preserved the individual's dignity, that preserved the individual's respect amongst the peers and within the organization, and that fosters a positive type environment 
that will allow others to not to to not see that oh okay somebody messed up hammer's been dropped on somebody uh again you mentioned about community community is going to be huge in how the appetite for for or the appetite or accepting mistakes you know right. there's going to be communities out there that are very adamant about no 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 this is a fail uh fail proof mission we're humans we're all going to make mistakes that's just the nature of the business. So if everyone ever tells you, you will never make a mistake, that's not going to happen. You will make a mistake no matter what. And like I said, how you bounce back from that mistake is definitely going to dictate how you are going to rebound from that mistake. You know, have a maintain a positive attitude, which is going to be hard. Um, have a positive outlook, which is going to be hard at that time. Um, and don't let others see that you're, you're being bothered by whatever mistake that you made. As long as you learn from it and don't do it again, shouldn't be a problem. Did I answer all your questions? Did I, did I answer that? Yes, sir. Uh, Follow-up question. Um, so when you start as a first or second lieutenant, um, what advice would you give other than going to your NCOs or maybe what examples do you have of lieutenants who were successful and what did they do? For example, like how did they become successful? I have a saying called attitude over aptitude. Attitude over aptitude. You can always train somebody to do something. But you, it is hard to mold somebody's attitude, right? You, it's, it's hard for me to change somebody's attitude. But I can always train somebody to do something. Attitude goes a long way. If you take the initiative, you have a positive attitude, you seek feedback, you're golden. You're golden. The reason why I harp on attitude is because no one wants to ever work with somebody who's negative or the know-it-all or, or the one who's, who has the answers to everything or the one who wants to, he, who wants to speak just for the sake of hearing himself or herself. Nobody ever wants to work with that individual. Um, it's quite annoying, to be honest. And you'll have those types of people. I'll tell you that right now. You, you will encounter those individuals. But as a brand new second lieutenant, having a good attitude is definitely very, very critical. Some will come in to a brand new organization, to a tech training squadron, and have the whole, I'm a second lieutenant. Look at these yellow, these gold bars. Don't do it. Do not do that. One, the enlisted corps is going to eat you alive. Two, you're just, you're just reinforcing the stigma that a lot of the young officers will have that the power gets to their head, the rank gets to their head. Keep in mind, the, the enlisted corps will salute you no matter how bad of an officer you are because they respect the rank. They may not respect the person, but they respect the rank. So that's why it's critical for you to impart yourself to them so that they can respect the person with the rank. Uh, so with that comes with attitude. You just need to have a very uh, a good, positive attitude. And like I said, if you treat others with dignity and respect, you will be treated with dignity and respect too. Um, respect goes both ways. And, and don't be the know-it-all. Don't be the, the brand new second lieutenant. Don't be the I'm almighty individual. Um, because people can see right through that. And a lot of people, chances are the people who do do that have something to hide to compensate for. Um, whether that's knowledge of their job or insecurity of their performance, 
it's people see right through that. Um, so again, if I was to give a couple words of wisdom for brand new second lieutenants coming into an organization, have a good attitude. Um, seek, seek your seek to get to know everybody, have everybody know who you are uh, and feedback. Feedback is huge. Sir, would you say that there's a fine line between going into an organization as a for, or a second lieutenant and um, a fine line between being a know-it-all and not knowing your job enough? Does that make sense? Um, so you're saying, if, is there a fine line between uh, if I was to see a lieutenant and the way he or she conducts himself or herself, it's because of being a know-it-all or, or just a facade of not knowing what they're doing? Is let, me that what to, let me try to reword it better. So it's very clear you're saying that second lieutenants shouldn't go into an organization and be be the person, be the know-it-all, but then at the same time, they shouldn't go in and be timid, is that's what I'm trying to say. Is there a balance between not being too timid, but also not being a know-it-all? Yes, there is. And like I said, as a young officer, you're going to make mistakes. You're going right. to go one way over the other. And it's a, right. it's a matter of, of finding that balance of being a know-it-all or knowing your, your expertise, but being, being humble about it, right? You got to find that balance. And uh, what I'm saying is the majority of the time, a lot of them are here. Right. And it takes a couple of interactions to take that person back to this part of the spectrum. And that's okay because that's part of your learning in the Air Force and it's going to happen. Right. What you may not think is, is what you may think is humble may not be humbling to other people, maybe a know-it-all to another person. We're all coming from different backgrounds and different experiences. I'm not saying that there is a paid path on how to be the perfect officer. I'm saying that just be mindful on how you conduct yourself. Humility is huge. You know, uh, yes, you can be proficient in your weapon system, but how you go about with that knowledge is going to be critical in sharing that knowledge with other people. If there are two lieutenants coming into an organization, Mr. Know-it-all, Mr. Know-it-all and flaunts it in people's faces, or Mr. Know-it-all and is humble about it, who do you think people are going to gravitate to, right? Probably the person who's the most, the, who knows it all and is humble about it. And who do you think they're going to be listening to is probably the person who's humble about it instead of the person who knows it all and just shoves it in people's faces that I'm smarter than you, right? Um, you can have the, the optimum knowledge of whatever weapon system you're going to be operating in the Air Force, but how you go about conducting and performing that knowledge is going to be critical in your ability to impart that knowledge and for people to listen to you as the subject matter expert. Right. Um, so you have to find that balance and, and it is a fine line and you have to, and it's trial and error. What may work for me may not work for you. Right. And, and that's okay. And that's part of that whole mentoring feedback that needs to be going back and forth between you and I, or you and me uh, to, to get you to that sweet spot of that spectrum. So, sir, working with um, nuclear bombs, like it, it must be a very stressful environment. What do you do to um, ease the nerves of the people around you, the people who work for you, and kind of calm them down in situations? And maybe could you give an example of that? Sure. So before I do that, uh, let, me, let me back up as far as what an ICBM operator is. And I don't know if there's a lot of people out there who are aware of what ICBM operations are. Because uh, as you know, with the Air Force, when you say Air Force, the first thing that we all think about is flying jets, right? Um, 
ICBM operations, they're, they're quiet sentinels of the nuclear deterrence mission. Uh, and, and what that is, is we have other countries who fall under our nuclear umbrella because of our ability to launch nuclear weapons at against an adversary, which allows them a freedom to operate. Um, sorry. Um, so, so ICBM operations entails uh, a crew force of officers, young officers, mind you, uh, the majority of them are young CGOs who are on alert 24-7, 365 days a year, who man underground capsules to prepare to launch ICBM nuclear-tipped missiles within minutes of authorization from the president. Yes, it's nerve. Uh, it's, uh, I remember doing a graduation speech in one of our, 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 our graduations where there were parents attending the graduation and I would always, I would always say, you know, remember how nervous you were when you gave your 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 son or daughter the keys to the car. Well, guess what? Now they're graduating and they're getting keys to launch a nuclear weapon. You know, it just it doesn't hit them until they actually go out to the field and go underground and they're signing for the alert for custody of those nuclear weapons. That what the, the importance of what they're doing. Um, it's a it's a it's a very important job. It's a thankless job because not a lot of people know about it because a lot of the stuff that we do is very is, is, is at the top secret level. So there's not a lot of information out there and the information you hear out there is probably negative press. Um, but nuclear operations, the very important operations and how you maintain your sanity is balancing your professional and your personal life. Um, that's one of, the, one of the key aspects too, as young lieutenants and no matter what specialty you're gonna be in is balancing what you do day to day at work and what you do at home. Um, a lot of people struggle balancing professional and personal life. They, they tend to put professional over personal life uh, ahead of, I'm sorry, they tend to put professional life ahead of their personal life. And that ends up with a lot of problems back in the home front. Um, but how you maintain your sanity, not only in nuclear operation, but in whatever career field you're in, is that fine balance. You need to enjoy your free time. You need to take your vacation or your leave days. That's what they're for. And, and you need to take opportunities on what the base has to offer for uh, morale and welfare and, and to, to, to help increase morale within the organization. Um, a lot of the nuclear operations bases are in the northern tier bases, which is really cold right now. Uh, actually, today's the highs was 35 degrees here in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, so a lot, a lot of the northern tier bases, they do a lot of uh, programs to get the airmen. When I say airmen, big A airmen, both officers and enlisted. Uh, they do a lot of programs to try to boost the morale, whether it's snowmobiling, ice, uh, dog sledding, whatever have you, to, to just get their heads out of the nuclear business to just relax and enjoy their, their, their free time. Um, so to answer your question on how to how to how to deal with the stresses of, of your job is you need to balance your personal professional life, uh, and like I said, some of you will tr will struggle to do it, and you'll be off kilter at some point. But it's a matter of 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 getting that balance for sure. Are there any part of uh, Air Force miss missiles that are transitioning to the Space Force anytime soon? Uh, no, at one point, uh, nuclear operations with, was under Space Command. 
Uh, we were all 13 Sierras at the time, uh, but then we call what, the, what we call the great divorce between space and missiles. Um, space went uh, one way, which is 13 Sierras, and all nuclear operators went 13 November. Um, so no, once you're characterized as a 13 November, you will stay as an ICBM operator uh, for your first six years. Uh, just like an op, uh, a pilot, you'll be an, a pilot for your first 10 years. Uh, for an ICBM operator, you'll be operations space for six years. All right, sir. So I think next we're going to move into uh, career progression. Sure. And some of the questions we had planned for that were, um, what are some steps or like major things that you've um, taken to get to where you are today? Success wise. Okay. okay. Uh, so I, I'm going to, uh, a disclaimer, um, how I got to my position and, and the path that I took is not going to be the same for everybody. Um, I think the epitome of everyone's career is to command, uh, whether that's at the squadron group or wing level. Uh, in my instance, it's command at the squadron level. I never thought I was going to be a squadron commander when I was a second lieutenant, nor did I plan to be a squadron commander when I was a second lieutenant, first lieutenant, captain, and the major. I, I, I never had, I never, I, the way I conducted myself, I conducted myself like the rank that I'm wearing was the last rank I'm ever going to wear. Because what that did for me is to be able to call the BS, to call people out, to challenge people that needed to challenge without fear of repercussion of whatever that may come back at me. Um, and I think that's a problem that we have in our Air Force is a lot of people tend to operate, one, to better their career, or two, for fear of repercussions coming back down at them and how that may impact their progression up as they, as they get up in the ranks. Um, that's a problem that we have in, in our military. And that's just human nature because we want to excel. We want to do what it is that's required for us to promote. Um, uh, there's a mentality of, of doing or, or box checking, essentially, uh, having those, those right positions to make sure that you have accomplished certain positions so that you can become a squadron commander. My path to squadron command is not the same path as everybody else's squadron command. And I'll tell you right now, the best position that I've ever had in my 19-year career was squadron command. I am one assignment post command, uh, and looking back, and when when a, a, a graduated squadron commander would always say, "Oh yeah, squadron command was my best assignment," I always like whatever that you always say that. I actually now understand why they say that, is because it's a very rewarding position, it's a very rewarding assignment where you actually get to take care of the airmen, you exercise all the leadership skills and tools that you've learned throughout your career, and and, and you're in command of a unit. Um, how I got to command, I'd like to think that I, I, I wouldn't say I did the right, I had the, I, that I did not accomplish the ideal positions, you know, executive officer. Even though I did, a, I did have an executive officer position, it wasn't an executive officer at the wing or, or at the group level. Um, you know, I, I'm not an IDE graduate in residence. That's a professional military education for your, for your majors level. I'm not an in-residence individual, but I still went to, I still got command. And I would like to think how I got command was based off of my attitude of, of a positive vibe and attitude that I like to exuberate and the desire for me to wanna help others excel. Uh, I think I'm an instructor at heart. You know, I like, to, I like to teach people and I like to set people off 
and share my experiences so that they can be successful based off of the struggles and the experiences that I've experienced or witnessed. Uh, and right. why I do this today, I want to share with you guys on what I have seen and witnessed so that you can share it with the fellow cadets so that they can be better officers, better than me when I came into the Air Force. Uh, right now, what the Air Force is struggling right now is embracing the new demographics of lieutenants that are coming in. I witnessed that when I was in Vandenberg, tech training. The training, that the, the methodology of how we were conducting training was not in the spectrum that you young lieutenants have learned in, in high school and in, and in college, whether that's VR, all the uh, technology that you guys have available with you at, or at, at your dispense in your university. We don't have that in the tech training squadrons, but we are changing that and we are embracing it so that we can teach you guys at that spectrum uh, that you guys are used to. Um, so that's go, rewinding back. Um, my path is not your ideal path, or I shouldn't say not ideal, but it's not the typical path to command. Um, like I said, I never, I conducted myself as if the, rank, the current rank that I was wearing was my last rank. And, and what that did for me was to be able to conduct myself in a way that I would properly take care of my airmen. I will, I will question the direction that needed to be questioned um, so that I didn't have to worry about the ability to promote uh, beyond the next, uh, on the next grade. And here I am as a Lieutenant Colonel. So, um, I'll tell you right now, as a, as a former commander, you always wanted to have those individuals who questioned you. We don't, I don't, I did not like yes people, right? I want somebody to question me so that I know my direction and my intent is one, clearly communicated and two, that it's going to be understood by everybody how to move forward. And what that entails is for individuals to question me and to ask me clarification question or to part, try to poke holes in my direction. Um, that's the type of individual that a commander wants to have in the organization. It's somebody who will speak up, who will question that something that needs to be questioned. If I say something and everyone just like, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. That does not give me the, the warm fuzzy that what I'm directing is fully understood or it's going to get met. Everyone is just being yes, yes people. I, didn't, we, I did not appreciate that. So if you operate as if it's your last rank, that gives you the opportunity to, to say, hey, I'm going to question you no matter what, and I don't care what the repercussions, if any, are going to happen. Um, as far as jobs concerned, I did your typical, I was a flight commander. I progressed as a section lead flight commander, uh, chief of standby. I was a director of operations before I assumed command. And, and now I'm in my uh, staff tour post command, um, which is, which is going, which is expected for everybody in the air force, uh, at the O four and above grade that you will do some kind of staff tour. Uh, reason being is because one, it gives you a break from operations and two, it gives you the behind the look scene of how things, how direction is formulated and disseminated at a higher headquarters level. Um, so, so that's a, that's a good opportunity. And again, it's a good break to have uh, from, from doing operations for your first 10 to 12 years. Sir, once you've been a, or having been a squadron commander, what is something that you can say you come into a leadership position, what can you immediately do to gain the respect of like your squadron and your peers? 
get to know your people. And what that entails is getting out there. Uh, walk the plank is what I, what I would say. Lead by example. Practice what you preach. I'm a firm believer of, of physical fitness. If you, if you maintain your physical fitness, your ability to maintain your mental capacity and your ability to conduct yourself as an officer is going to follow suit. So I would always tell my guys, I want you guys to work out. Whatever the Air Force says is the limit, do it and go above and beyond it. So if I told my guys that, rest assured, I'm going to be doing that, right? So what I would do on my calendar is block off my PT time. I did that because one, if I expect my guys to do it, I better do it myself. And two, when my guys see my calendar, they know I'm working out. So that's practicing what I preach. I want to, I want, if I want them to do it, I need to do it myself so that it's okay for them to be doing it. You know, a lot of the times when I say practice what you preach, you know, a lot of commanders fail to recognize that when people see you in the office at six o'clock in the evening at 1800, it, there goes an, un, there is an undue pressure on your personnel to try to stay there, to try to support you as a commander. So I made it sure that I left after at the end of the duty day to leave my office so that nobody saw me in the office so that they can get back to their families at a good time. What that entails, I would bring my work back at home, right? Um, essentially practice what you preach. If you want your people to practice or to be with their family, to attend family milestones, I myself needed to do it. If my son, if my kids had a, an awards assembly, you rest assured that's on my calendar and I will attend it because I want my people to attend it. So the best way to, to have people to follow you as a commander is to get to know your people. Walk around, talk to them, get to know them on the personal level. Hey, how's your son? How's, how's, the, how's the, the, the band going for, for Joe? You know, you got to get to know them at that level. Granted, an organization of 250 people is a lot. You know, that's a lot of people. I struggled with it. Um, but I think people understood that having that many people in your organization, you will forget who's got what. Um, but people did know uh, that they did people, people did see me around and people would see me walking around and it got to the point where I was being a distraction. And I recognize that. Uh, so I tried to minimize that distraction by putting people at ease and, you know, just don't worry about me. I'm a fly on the wall. I'm just walking around to see how you guys are doing. What are some hurdles that I can hear that I can clear to let you guys do your job more efficiently and more effectively, whatever have you. Um, so the best way for you, for, for any commanders, know your people. And the other thing, I'm sorry, trust. You got to trust them. You got to, tr as a commander, you're expected to know it all, but it's okay not to know it all. Because that's why you have people who work in the squadron who are your subject matter experts. When my group commander would ask me about a certain tasker, I would always say, ma'am, I don't know, but I will get that answer to you. Because I'm not going to, one, shoot from the hip, and two, I don't know it because there's so many things that are going on in the squadron that I will get her the answer. And it's okay to say you don't know. And you got, I have to trust that people will do it. They may not do it the way I would do the task, but that's okay. As long as the task is met, I don't care how you made your PB&J. As long as the PB&J is, is, is on the plate, I don't care how you made it. I don't care if you did peanut butter first or jelly first. I don't care as long as there's PB&J at the end. Uh, you got to trust your people. Trust your people and get to know them. 
you were saying, sir, a little bit ago that throughout your career, you never, you never would focus on the next rank and you just would just, um, just, uh, recognize that the rank that you were at was the last one you're going to get. That's what you were saying. Um, in the future, do you have, um, a plan for where you want to get to? So, so to answer your question, no. Okay, I'm, I'm retirement eligible here in three months. Have I decided whether I'm going to retire or not? No, I have not. And again, that's part of my mindset is I'm not looking too far out in the future because I haven't even figured out what's going to happen next week. You know, there's just, I can spend all my time stressing about how I'm going to make kernel but yet times can change, i.e. COVID-19, we did not expect this to happen, that can throw a wrench in your plan that I just wasted my time on trying to figure out how I'm gonna try to get to that point. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing if you do do that, I'm just saying for me personally, I'm just not the type of person to plan that far out. Um, so as far as an exit strategy for me, I have not figured that out yet. Um, I think my personal, my personal take is I will continue to wear the uniform as long as the Air Force will allow me to wear the uniform. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy what the Air Force does provide for me. Um, I enjoy opportunities like this uh, and building and helping bring the next new group of leaders coming up into our Air Force. Uh, and, and if I make 06, I make 06. And if I don't, I'm happy as a Lieutenant Colonel. Um, and I'm proud of my career and what I've done thus far. Uh, I can, if I, if the Air Force, you know, wants to push me out, knock on wood, and I, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with my career. Sir, having um, such a long career in the Air Force, how, how does it affect your family life back home, and how do you handle that? So I have three boys. Um, let's see. So ten. 10, 13, and 15, turning 16, I, I always told myself my career is going to be dictated by my kids um, at the point where it's going to start to impact their ability, uh, uh, their, their mindset is when I'm going to take the uniform off. Thus far, they have not exhibited that. Um, they've been moving since, since I've started the military. I think in my last movie counted, we've had seven moves thus far. Um, Fortunately, that's all they know. So they count how many years we're going to be in a specific location and count, oh, I'm going to be here for grade four, five, and six, so I should be leaving after grade six. Um, they're used to moving a lot, essentially. Uh, they don't know any better. The negative side is they are missing out on their extended family, on their, uh, on their nephew or, or their cousins, their grandparents. That's the negative part of being a military family is they get to miss out on on that part of your personal life. But on the plus side, military kids tend to be more resilient because they're so used to having to build relationships and then pack up and leave again and then build brand new relationships. Uh, given the technology that we have today, a lot of, a lot of the relationships that they have formed is it's easy for them to keep in touch with each other from previous assignments. In fact, my kids still talk about their experiences back when we were in Great Falls, Montana. That was five to six years ago. Um, they still talk about that. Um, so they do get exposed to a lot more stuff uh, uh, as far as the country is concerned uh, than somebody or, or their relatives or their cousins who's been staying in one specific location. 
So I think from a whole person perspective, as far as my kids are concerned, I think they're a lot more wholesome um, and have a lot more experiences in regards to uh, comparing themselves to their cousin. Now, as far as impact is concerned, yes, it's hard. It's hard to to pull them out of a school system and then have them start a brand new school in a brand new location where they have not yet met any friends. Uh, it's hard as a parent to introduce them into a, a school district where they don't know anybody. Um, but you you go about figuring out ways to do that. So when we if, if we were to PCS again here soon, what I would do is I would probably figure out who's in that location and try to figure out who in their network can try to help my kids assimilate, assimilate to the, the school district. Uh, you find ways and, and, and techniques to try to mitigate that, to try to ease the transition. Uh, and you learn that through as you progress in your military career. Um, but what it does is you need to have a very strong structure with your significant other. And what that involves is communication. You need to communicate to your significant other what you're doing, when you're doing, and how you're doing it. Um, if that individual is active duty, that's going to be, I think that's rougher and tougher than it is if your significant other is a civilian. Because mill to mill, military to military, granted, they know they know the lingo. Um, you talk about shop in the office, and then you're going to talk about shop at home. <laughs> that's going to be kind of harsh, right? Um but if it was a, if your significant other is a civilian, you know, you got to include him or her into whatever it is that you do so that he or she has an idea of what you're doing. Um, I try to separate work. Once I get home, I get home, I take off the uniform and I try to not talk about work. The majority of my time and my assignments, I lived off base. Uh, reason being is because I just wanted to have that feeling of that. Once I left the base, none of that stuff came home with me. Uh, but of course, as you get higher rank in DO command positions, it's beneficial for you to live on base. Um, but I, I like to have that separation because I didn't want to bring that stuff back to home. But then again, he or she also needs to know somewhat of what you do so that they have a better understanding. And, and one of the things that you guys will learn if you guys have significant others when you get commissioned is that there's a network of individuals within that unit that will help take care of your family on the family front. And it's important that you capitalize on those programs, whether it's a spouse's group, the spouse's club, um, you, need to, uh, you need to make sure that your significant other is part of that so that they can help ease them through the transition and to help address any questions that they may have or, or any problems that they may face. Do you find it difficult, sir, to separate work and the house? Is that hard or no? Very easy. No, <laughs> in my career field is very easy because fortunately a lot of the stuff I do is at the top secret level. Right. So I really can't talk about what I do at home. Um, so it's easy for me to not bring work home because again, I can't talk about it. Um, so a lot of the stuff, if I was to talk about home or work in the home front is pretty much planning stuff. Hey, uh, we got this event in, in the squadron or in the unit. You guys want to attend. We, ha we have this function. Or, hey, we're coming up on a PCS, and this is what the assignment's going to be. This is where it's going to – this is the location. This is what you may uh, be exposed to. Um, but for other, other AFSCs out there, it, it, it may be a struggle. I guess it's really going to be personnel-driven. Uh, but for me, it's pretty easy because, again, I'm at the top secret level, so I really can't take any of that information home anyway. And if I did, that's a problem. So th that's all the questions that I had. Um, I was wondering, sir, if you have any interesting 
funny or enlightening stories from your time in the Air Force? That is not top secret. <laughs> oh, wow. That one's, I wasn't prepared for this question. Something funny, huh? Well, I don't know if it's funny, but it is, uh, I think, uh, uh, Cadet Randolph, you mentioned it. It's a small Air Force. Chances are you will see people you commission with again somewhere in the Air Force. And you guys may be doing different specialties. You will see each other again or hear of each other again, or someone may know of you uh, through somebody else. Um, so be careful what you do, what you say, and how you conduct yourself. Don't burn bridges. Um, I've done a couple things that I should have said something, I, I, that I have said something that I shouldn't have said. Um, quite embarrassing and I'm not going to share it. All I'll say is just be careful. Be careful. It's a small Air Force. People will remember who you are, what you do, and what you say. Um, and, and and you will see each other again, for sure. I'm sorry. I don't have anything funny. <laughs> no, it's fine. I didn't get a chance to think about that one. All right, sir. Before we close, um, did you have any additional words of wisdom or questions for us at the detachment? Uh, hey, as cadets at Debt 60, you guys need to soak it all in. Um, you guys are going to be faced, I'm sure you guys are faced with now, with peer pressure to do something. Um, remember, you guys are in ROTC now, and you guys have to comply with regulation. And don't, set your, don't ever put yourself in a situation that will jeopardize your ability to wear the uniform. Uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. Um, but soak it all in. Enjoy it as much as you can. Uh, within reason, obviously. Um, if I was to go back again, I would definitely um, be more, less reserved and 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 test the boundaries a little bit. That's okay. Test the boundaries, make the mistakes, um, but definitely enjoy your time. And and again, the grass is not necessarily greener on the other side. So once you guys figure out what you guys are going to be doing and it's not what you wanted. Don't think it's better elsewhere because every organization, every specialty code has its issues and concerns. It's what you make of it and the attitude that you have that will determine how fun the fun that you will have. Uh, and you just got to remember, it, will, it could be worse elsewhere. You could be deployed in the sandbox and away from your family and away from the sanctuary of the United States of America. And it could be worse. Uh, so to answer your question, have fun, soak it all in. And, and test the boundaries. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, Lieutenant Colonel Yamzon, for joining us today. Uh, and thank you all for tuning in to Sound Off, Leadership Lessons with the Airmen of Troy. We hope you enjoyed listening um, as much as we did. And as always, keep calm, fight on, and sound off.